Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are changing how our world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Wayne Saden, who's been a Chief Digital Officer, Chief Information Officer, Chief Technology Officer, and now advises CEOs and boards on the best ways to wrap digital strategy and business strategy together. Wayne, thanks for joining us. Glad you're with us here on Cloud Wars Live. Hello, Bob. As always, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks. And I know we've really enjoyed your monthly series here, Satan on Digital, as part of our digital all-star team. So it sounds like uh, from our, our setup conversations coming in that this notion, Wayne, of technical debt, which you have touched on before, continues to be a high-level subject for the boards and CEOs you talk with. So What's going on with that today, and where do things stand? Well, it's getting worse. The only way to say it is it's getting worse because technical debt, remember, is the sum of all the things you didn't do to maintain your IT investment. And so every week that goes by, every month that goes by, every year that goes by, if you don't do anything, it's just going to get worse. And, Bob, that compounds because – more and more, the CEO, the board, the investor wants us in technology to move faster, to help them move faster. And this technical debt is an albatross just weighing us down. It keeps us in IT from delivering and executing on all the business strategy that the business leaders want and need. When, let, let's just be sure up front, because what you said makes a great deal of sense and you can understand the gravity of that situation. But for those who aren't as familiar with it as, as you are, is technical debt, are you speaking about that in the classical sense of debt? Is this a financial issue or is, there, is it more so that you just don't have, that you're being held back because you haven't made the investments to keep up with modern technology? Well, I'm not a CPA, so I don't want to say something that isn't exactly right. But if you think about it, it is a very important financial issue. In fact, it is an off-balance sheet liability. If you all remember Enron, I live in Houston, I remember it very well. Enron had this enormous off-balance sheet liability that when it was disclosed, essentially sunk the company. And so here you take a typical legacy company, not a brand new company that started in the cloud where all the programs were written in the last couple of years. They've got 20, 30, 40, 50 years worth of investment in technology. And everything they didn't maintain, every server that's now 15 years old, the application they wrote in the 1980s that they upgraded slightly for Y2K that they're still running, all of that is creating a drag that when they want to make a change is going to keep them from making that change. So I, I describe it as an unfunded off balance sheet liability that in many cases is staggeringly large and, and quite frankly, unknown to the people in it in many cases, and certainly unknown to members of the board investors. And I think the investing public, if they recognize the two companies that look the same capability, They've got the same risk profile, the same opportunity profile. And one had a couple of hundred million dollars or a couple of hundred billion dollars, depends on their size, I suppose, versus the other one in technical debt. You might make a different investment choice, both how the company will be able to survive the vicissitudes of life, cyber attacks, the brittleness of their systems, the age of stuff breaks, and also, more importantly, 
the ability to get out of their own way and disrupt and innovate and do the things you want to do. So all things being equal, the company with more technical debt and less managed technical debt is at a disadvantage compared to the company that has less debt or a better process to manage it. Yeah, Wayne, I think that's a great way to explain it. So there's, there's very clearly a, a pure financial component to it, which is to get out of that hole, this is what it's going to cost us. And at the same time, there's uh, the word used a moment ago of opportunity. How do you seize on these new things that are coming up? So there's an opportunity cost. I'd love to go do that. I just don't have the horsepower. I don't have the modern capabilities to do so. So both of those things, those pure financial and the opportunity or market facing speed size, th those are a couple of thorny uh, rocks or, or hard places to be stuck in between, it sounds like, for somebody who's mired in this technical debt. But Bob, it's worse than that. It's the fact that every day we run our operation, every day the IT stuff has to run, every day it has to work. And so you'll see a hospital in California said they had an electrical panel affected by a lightning storm and the whole hospital was down for a couple of days. We have airlines that claim a power panel in a data center took down the reservation system for a day or more. Now I'm telling you what, I've been doing this a long time. Airlines have more than one power panel in their data center. What they have is a bunch of stuff hooked to it, and when something failed, because somebody didn't plug in the right thing, probably because they ran out of plugs 25 years ago, the things that were supposed to be connected at both ends were only connected at one end, everything fell over, and nobody remembers. Nobody's old enough, has been there long enough, to remember what you do when the purple plug falls out of the yellow socket, because that was documented in 1983 and hasn't been looked at since. And so it creates a day-to-day -day drag, not just on your opportunity, which is a strategic problem, but it creates these kind of outages that affect your customer experience. And also, it affects your ability to respond to cybersecurity threats. So, Bob, I had a CEO say to me once, well, my Windows XP computer boots up every day, so what's wrong? It works. Now, I happen to be sitting at an airport. I don't know if you can hear the airplanes, but it's where the NASA pilots come in when they come out of Johnson Space Center. So I see the most amazing airplanes out the window of this office. And there was a P-51 Mustang, a World War II fighter plane, that was landing. And I said, you see that P-51 P fighter plane? It flies. You can get in it and fly. Now go do a dogfight against the Chinese MiG. Who's going to win? And the answer is obvious. Just because it flies, just because my IT system starts up every day, doesn't mean it has the horsepower and the sophistication to defend us. And remember, the hackers are flying MiGs, and we don't want to be flying World War II airplanes. And that's what too many CEOs and boards are doing. And I hate to say it, they don't realize it. We in IT don't have a good way to explain the financial ramifications or even the dimensions of technical debt. But there are ways that we can clarify it. There are ways we can highlight it. And if you give me a minute, I'll, I'll tell you one very important way. Everybody gets audited. Public companies get audited more than private companies, but there's an external auditor that comes in and does your audit. And when the auditor comes in, they look at your systems differently if they're manual and they're automated. So I've got clients that have hundreds of thousands or millions of security entries manually maintained. And so when the auditors come in, they send an army of people 
and they look at screenshots and they look at video pictures and they look at all sorts of stuff. I know other clients, typically after we've worked with them, that have this automated. So the auditor comes in, says, run me the security report. You run the security report, you hand it to them, they run the exception report, and they go about their business. And if you recognize what an auditor bills, an external auditor, you could be saving six figures or seven figures, big companies, maybe eight figures on actual out-of-pocket outlay. Not to mention when your auditor is done, they go to your board and say, we're going to talk at the executive level about what your readiness is, how well you comply. Because you can pass an audit and pass it this much, or you can pass an audit with flying colors, and that colors what the audit committee hears. And so if you have enormously manual processes, your auditor is going to cost a fortune. Your auditor is going to be a little hesitant to say, this is clean. And maybe an investor might hesitate if they knew the situation to invest. Or maybe your board might even say, you know, maybe that acquisition, which we think is marginal, isn't a great idea because maybe we'll screw it up on the execution. And so using audit and the quality of what the auditors find as kind of a beginning instrument, a gauge of your technical debt, might be a good way for the board to understand it. Go talk to your external auditor. Go talk to your internal auditor and say, what's manual? What's in a spreadsheet? What's in an access database? Uh, because I'll, I'll take a breath for a minute, but access database and Excel spreadsheets represent an enormous technical debt, and, and people just don't appreciate the risk they're running. Wayne, that's a great overview there. So, uh, you know, a couple things. Uh, clearly, in today's world, the cybersecurity risk, right? You just cannot have the right sort of cybersecurity hygiene, the cybersecurity rigor that's needed if you've got a lot of this uh, out of date and just not up to par stuff. Because as you said, the bad guys are certainly working with state-of-the-art equipment. And you talked about the brittleness that happens there. You just, you know, companies don't have the resiliency, the robustness to be able to handle the sorts of demands that today's uh, and economic environment places on them. But also, um, I think this opportunity type of thing we talked about. So the CEO comes in in an organization, say, where there is this significant technical debt and says, okay, just read an airplane magazine or something. We need to undergo a digital transformation here. They have no shot, right? I mean, they, they, they're talking about digital transformation going way beyond this sort of average state out into the future. They're way down below zero, even here and now, right? So what do you tell those folks? Well, I tell them you should have called me a few years ago. <laughs> um, that's what I often tell clients, because as I say, the problem keeps getting worse. And the IT people, bless their hearts, just sweep it under the rug, partly because nobody asks them. The board doesn't ask them. The CEO doesn't ask them. All anybody says to IT is, hey, can you cut your budget a little bit? We're having a tough year. And so what does IT cut? When you think about an IT budget, which represents usually about 0.7 to about 2.5% of sales, what does IT have that's short-term fungible? They have training, they have testing, they have maintenance, and they have salaries. And that's it. The fixed assets are fixed. You can't touch them. If you're in the cloud, of course, you can throttle stuff back. But what goes first? Your testing, your training, and your maintenance. So you wind up with IT shops that year over year buy something. They put in a new network. They put in a new ERP product. They put in a new whatever. And then even if they budgeted for maintenance, and I hate to say it, but many of them don't. They just figure they'll cover it in the day-to-day. 
Even when they budget for maintenance, when they have to cut something the following year, what do they cut? They cut maintenance on that ERP system. But, but Bob, you know what's even worse? I go into clients all the time where they've been paying the Microsoft or the Oracle or any of the other ISVs, independent software vendors, 23%, 24% of the list price of the software in maintenance every single year. And after 10 years, they haven't put in any enhancements. So that's worse than doing nothing. You've paid a fortune to do nothing. And so if you're not going to upgrade the software, stop paying the maintenance. But yet I've seen organization after organization that pays essentially for the same software three and four times at 20 something percent a year. And they're, they're, I work with companies all the time that are eight or 10 years behind on their software. And that creates a couple of problems. Number one, when you go to put the pieces together, this brittleness we talked about starts to take over. I tell clients in this state, for every two steps I'm going to take forward, we're going to slide back one because we're going to put in the new whatever widget, and that's going to break the five widgets it connects to and the three that you didn't know it connected to in that other division over there because we don't have it documented. And so when the CEO says, I want a digital transformation, maybe they say, I want to take my front-end e-commerce system and connect it to my back-end ERP system. Sounds reasonable, right? I'm actually talking to a very large, very old manufacturer distribution company that has that problem. And the problem is they're completely different vintages. There's no parts catalog that's kept electronically. And so to connect them sounds pretty straightforward, but it involves 20, 30, 50, 100 steps, all of which touch software that's maybe 10 or 20 or 30 years old. Some's home written, some is purchased, some is a mixture, and you wind up with an environment where nobody really can do an estimate that's worth a darn because there's known unknowns. I know that I'm five releases behind on packaged software, but how many custom reports have we written in the last 11 years? One shop I worked at figured they had 600 custom reports that have to be upgraded. Now, by the way, the initiative we actually followed was how many reports does anybody need? And the answer was 32, not 600. So there are better and worse ways to go about these problems, and, and we can do this. It's a process. But you wind up in that position, and then the CEO says, but it was so easy. All I wanted was plug this into this. I'll tell you, I, I had another case where I had to tell a CEO, he wanted this system plugged into this system, and he said, it, it's, it's really easy. And I said, so you like cars, right? And he said, yes, I do. I said, so let's say you like the BMW engine, but the Mercedes suspension. So you go to the dealer and say, I'd like a car made of a BMW engine and a Mercedes chassis. Just make one for me because it's a motor and it's a chassis and they should all hook up, right? And that's the equivalent of what we're being asked to do sometimes. When it's please hook my SAP back end to my Oracle front end, it should be easy. It may or may not be, depending on the number of connections that have to be re rejiggered. And, and so that's what happens with technical debt. The connections get flimsier. The, the newer connection doesn't fit to the older connection. The people who knew it are gone. They've retired. They moved on. They've passed away. And so you wind up in an environment where every little request, and the board says this all the time, it was such a simple report I wanted. But that simple report, require data from 100 different systems, 50 of which are manual spreadsheets. I'll, I'll tell you another story. I had a client 
where they were putting in a brand new data warehouse and all of this fancy dashboarding stuff. And so we're trying to track down a report that the CEO really wants to see to make it a dashboard. And so we're tracking it back and back and back. Where's the data? What database does it come from? It turned out the source data was three executives with an Excel spreadsheet and a cup of coffee, guessing, type, 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 email. And that showed up now in our fancy dashboard looking like real data. And, you know, at the end of the day, the Excel spreadsheets, the access databases create this false impression that we actually know what the data is, we know where it is, and we know what we're doing with it. And, and that, that, that boggles the mind and exceeds things like servers and switches and package software. Yeah, Wayne, you know, I, I have a couple of reactions to these remarkable stories you're telling here. One is I, I saw recently that um, Coca-Cola, or I'm sorry, McDonald's Corporation has eliminated the CMO position. And the two top executives who had reported to the CMO, one now reports to the CEO handling some traditional marketing functions. The other, who is in charge of marketing technology, now reports to the CIO. So there are these enlightened examples where I think we see companies, CEOs on down, understanding that the role of technology is everywhere in the company and it cannot be treated as this, you know, out on the fringes, I don't know, I don't care, cut the budget, you know, uh, year after year without some horrendous consequences in this modern age when every single part of the organization is intimately tied to what's going on with technology and its customers experience in your business via technology that way. So it's, I think, one of perspective, one of leadership, one of context, and clearly, Wayne, from a lot of what you're saying, one of communication of, you know, but it's so simple and, well, uh, clearly those people haven't been paying some attention. But when you have argued before that this isn't the solution, but it will certainly help, is if boards appoint an IT specialist or a very knowledgeable person who really understands technology and can communicate that at a board level type of discussion. So tell well, us a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, it's a two-way street. You're a professional communicator. You've made a career out of communicating. So for you, communicating seems like a pretty normal thing, I bet. For many people in IT, they become IT people because they're introverted and don't really want to communicate. They want to write code. They want to be in the machine room. They want to be in the dark at night. And, and so the storytelling gene may not be as expressed as well in a lot of IT people as it might be in a marketing person or a professional communicator. So we in IT have got to go into the business and talk to the business and meet the business, whether that's the line of business executives, whether that's the people in the front line of the company, or whether it's the investors and the board members and the people at the top. It's not about meeting them halfway. We gotta meet them way over here because they don't speak the language we grew up with. And a lot of it seems arcane or it seems oversimplified. You read about, well, Apple came out with a new watch or a new tool or a new this or a new that, and that must be the same as your Oracle ERP. And in principle it is, just like the bicycle and the jet plane or means of transportation. But, but I spend a lot of my time, as you know, telling stories, making analogies, because it's so important. However, at some point the analogy breaks down and having somebody on the board who has the background in technology, who has seen a disaster plan and probably a real disaster, 
who has seen a hacking attack and the defenses against them, who understands that a digital transformation is not about flashy software packages. It's about cultural change, and it's about empowering the CEO as a board member to make the important and hard changes they need and not just point at the CIO and say, make me a digital transformation. So Russell Reynolds coined the term QTE, Qualified Technology Expert, about five years ago now. Um, it was modeled on the Sarbanes-Oxley notion of a QFE, a qualified financial expert. And Bob, this ties beautifully into the technical debt question, my off-balance sheet uh, issue. When Sarbanes-Oxley was being debated, it was realized that there were boards where nobody really understood the financial statements. And so Enron could get away and WorldCom could get away with what they got away with. So Sarbanes-Oxley mandated that every board audit committee must have at least one QFE, Qualified Financial Expert. And here it is, nine years, almost nine years later, I think it's time that in addition to a financial expert, every board had somebody on that board that understood enough about what technology could do for good, for evil, for protection, for offense and transformation, and be able to be that voice in the room. So when the CIO comes in and says something, I'll say bluntly, stupid, or something that doesn't make sense from a business perspective, there's somebody who can call him or her on that. Because it's too easy for a CIO to intimidate a C-suite, too easy for a CIO to intimidate a board. They don't want to admit their ignorance. They don't want to admit that they really are not following what the conversation is, and some aren't. Or maybe they don't care because they don't care about the technical gobbledygook. I, mean, I, as a CIO, can spout gobbledygook in the right context all day, but that's not my function. My function is to figure out how to solve this business problem with that budget, with this group of assets, people, things, culture, structure, whatever. And so we need somebody on boards that can say, this is the business implication of this technical statement being made or this is a technical question that needs to be asked of the right person, and the answer uh, then either explain to me if I was the technical expert or to a hired gun. We bring in an auditor. We bring in a cybersecurity person. We bring in, just like we bring in a tax consultant when we have a tax question. So we might need to bring in experts, but it doesn't mean we can completely outsource and abdicate the needing to understand this stuff. It is too important as IT moved from the back room and the basement to center stage, to your point, in, in most every company. And we've got to have people on the board that say, what is the IT implication of that strategic question? So I think that's what's lacking, and I think you're absolutely right. The boards need to have people who can sit and say, why do I care about technical debt? Why do I care about digital transformation? Why do I care about cybersecurity hygiene? And so on. All the things we talk about here are things board members need to have someone in the room who can just listen and be able to say, I know that sounds like it's not about technology, but let me tell you why it is. Or that sounds like a technology question, but it's really a process question. I think that's the key. Wayne, that, that, that's great stuff. And um, I, I think what you touched on just a second ago about outsourcing, I'm gonna ask you to recap one of your great lines, which is, it's okay to outsource your software, but. Yeah, the, my, what I tell people is outsource your hardware, outsource your software, but don't outsource your brains. 
Um, we talked about it last week when I talked about Capital One and Amazon. The fact that somebody's in the cloud doesn't mean you're not responsible for security. The fact that you pay somebody to build you a gas station to fuel your trucks in a trucking company doesn't mean you're not responsible for the fire they might cause. The fact that you outsource your security to a guard service, so you got armed guards around your bank, doesn't mean you, the bank, aren't responsible for that ultimately. And we got to remember that. We can't say because the cloud. Look, Bob, you and I talk about it all the time. The cloud is transformative. Hyperscale cloud is going to change the way we do business. But at the same time, that doesn't mean CIOs can get stupider because the cloud. It means they have to understand one cloud, multi-cloud, multi-region, hybrid cloud, blah, blah, blah cloud, all the flavors of cloud, and all of the nonsense coming back from vendors pretending to be cloud, what I call all the flavors of fake cloud. We, we've got to be alert. And by the way, the CEO has to have some conception of that. Now, I'll tell you, I get into an argument a lot. It's time the CEO understood technology as well as the CIO. Nah, I say that as somebody that's been a CIO a long time. My best bosses as CEOs have been people who said to me, I don't know anything about technology. I really am not comfortable with technology, but I know what I need to get done. I know what this company must look like two, three, four years from now, number one. And number two, if you build it, I will support it and run the change management process using my powers as a CEO, my powers of persuasion, my powers of the budget, my powers of personal influence. And I've had some great successes as an IT leader partnered up with CEOs that say, I don't really know about this tech stuff because I don't care if they do. I want them to understand what they need done and then be able to say, if I, do, if I tell them I'm going to do this, this, and this, will that solve your problem? And that's the partnership I expect to have. Yeah, Wayne, that, that makes uh, perfect sense. And I, I hope that some folks will be listening to your idea about the QTE on the board, because <clears throat> you, you add in one other wrinkle to this, the litigious society that we're in today. It, you know, and maybe the absence of that is going to just become... Uh, too much of a risk for some companies. And Wayne, before we go, I wanted to pitch a business idea to you. How about you and I go in on uh, bumper stickers and it will say QTE ASAP. I, I think, I think we're going to sell millions of those. <laughs> well, I, I will introduce you to some organizations that are trying to get this message out. Um, I have a good friend. I'm going to put in a plug for, a, I think it's a nonprofit. It's the Digital Directors Network, run by a guy named Bob Zukas at USC. And they have got a, a group of people, I'm one of the people, that are trying to push for director education. You know, I, I'm a member of the National Association of Corporate Directors. Whenever I get the chance at the local chapter level that I work at, I work with people on that. I try to explain that concept. And so the Digital Directors Network is really trying to be a clearinghouse for IT people who are also business thinkers and business people who want that IT help. And so that, that idea is terrific, and maybe we can brand it through the DDN. Um, Wayne, before we go, please tell everybody where they can find out more about that uh, DDN. Well, it's Digital Directors Network, and if I was prepared for this, I would have their Twitter handle. But the gentleman is Bob Zukas. Z-U-K-I-S, and he teaches at the USC Marshall School, and I'll be happy to get that information to you, and you can put it up on a crawl or put it on the website. Great. All right, Wayne, 
Thank you so much. Been a great conversation. We gotta, uh, we'll keep keep pushing on this thing of awareness of and uh, you know taking responsibility for this technical debt because it, it sounds like a killer of what could be great businesses. Well, let me just end with saying, I love the feedback. If people think I'm right, great. If people think I'm wrong, even better. Let's get the dialogue going. Let's get the conversation going. And to everybody who's who wants to be convincing your management. Share this stuff with your managers. Share this stuff with your board. Share this stuff with your directors. Um, I think it's thought-provoking. Whether you agree or not, it's certainly a conversation that you need to have with your management team, your investors, your directors, and a lot of us aren't having it. So if this helps, let me know. And if you get arguments, let me know, and I'll get on the call. Happy to help. Wayne, thanks a lot. Great stuff here. Saden on Digital, our, our monthly guest, Wayne Saden. And thanks to all of you folks for being with us today on Cloud Wars. We'll see you next time.